A villain joins CBS's Supergirl. And we check out Superman Batman Apocalypse. This is Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to CBS's upcoming Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. I'm Teresa Giacino. And I'm Rebecca Johnson. In this episode, we're going to talk about the animated movie Superman Batman Apocalypse with our special guest, Michael Bailey. Michael is the co-host of From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. He's a staff writer and co-host of Radio KAL Live over at the Superman homepage. And he has a blog called The Fortress of Baileytude. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, Michael. Oh, thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it. I love the show quite a bit. Thank you so much. But as always, first up we have... The News. Comicbookresources.com has confirmed with WBTV that Owen Yeoman from The Mentalist has been cast as DC villain Vartox in CBS's Supergirl. Uh, Now, according to the official description of the role, Owen Yeoman uh, plays longtime DC Comics villain Vartox, an alien convict who has been hiding on Earth for the past 12 years. After Supergirl's emergence on Earth, Vartox seeks her out to ascertain her identity and do battle with her, (laughs) which sounds lovely. Uh, Hey, Michael, uh, uh, what do you know about uh, Vartox? Well, uh, Vartox wasn't a villain. I'm kind of confused by that because Vartox was a Bronze Age character uh, in the grand tradition of comic books ripping off things from movies. Sean Connery was in this terrible movie called uh, Zardoz. And they oh, yeah. Ripped off, they ripped off his look for Vartox. And he was a Superman of another planet. And he came to Earth and fell in love with Lana Lang. And it was like a lot of back and forth between the two of them. So he wasn't a villain. So I'm kind of con- confused why they're calling him Long Times DC Comics villain. Yeah, I don't know. That That's so funny, though, that you mentioned that he falls in love with Lana. Doesn't everybody fall in love with Lana oh Lang? God. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess they're uh, flipping the script with this one, uh, trying to turn him into something else maybe he starts off as a good guy and becomes a villain i don't know that's that's interesting i wonder it they had mentioned that lumberjack i think would be in the pilot so i don't know if vartox is just a pilot thing or if he's in the first couple episodes i don't know if they're planning that far ahead but it sounds like uh, there's a lot of villainy going on in yeah uh, the supergirl (laughs) tv show on cbs and it's, you know, the, the fact that they specify that he's an alien convict, because, um, you know, they're talking about uh, Alex Danvers working for this government organization that deals with aliens. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of alien crime on the show <laughs> or, you know, pursuit of alien, you know, reprobates. 
but from this description, it kind of looks like Bartox is, uh, well, he wants to ascertain her identity. So that sounds like a long-term project more than anything else. I like the idea of that. And I like that you mentioned Alex's uh, a shady government job because yeah. that, that would be kind of cool if she and, because uh, I, if I recall, she and Hank Henshaw are going to be working at this shady government organization together. So that would be really fun if they, I don't know if they um, will have hunted down Vartox or are aware of him. I don't know how that's going to work out, but I, I like the idea that their, their jobs will come into play with him. Well, on March 18th, Jeff Johns tweeted that Melissa Benoist just did the most iconic shot of this pilot. Amazing, in all caps. <laughs> and hashtag Supergirl. So I was curious if anybody had any guesses to what iconic shot Jeff Johns was referring to in his tweet. Michael, do you have any guesses? Uh, I'm guessing she saved something that's falling. Uh, you know, kind of like, you know, like like in the last season of Smallville when Clark caught the globe, mm. and uh, or Superman the movie where he catches the helicopter and Lois Lane, probably something like that. I could see that. Yeah, I was thinking it, it's probably something to do with the costume, and I feel like it's it's her kind of like flying in the costume for the first time, like kind of. I'm Supergirl now moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was sort of thinking, uh, uh, you referenced Smallville, Michael. And on Smallville, one of the most iconic shots that I've, I felt like that Kara had, Laura uh, Vandervoort's Kara, was kind of standing in front of uh, an American flag or on top of a roof, uh, kind of doing like a heroic pose. So that's kind of what popped in my head when I read his tweet. So it'll be interesting to see if we can point out what shot that is when we actually see the pilot. Well, that's the one he was talking about. All right. Well, uh, now that we uh, are done with the news for this week, let's get right into it and talk about the animated version of uh, Superman Batman Apocalypse. I mean, we could just get right into it as far as Kara's concerned. Um, what did uh, the two of you think about... Summer Glau in the role. Uh, Summer Glau obviously doing the voice of Kara in this film. Michael, uh, what did you think? She's fantastic in everything she does. <laughs> so, uh, you know, from you know being River to being an elf in a Christmas film that my that uh, that we watch every year now that it's on, uh, where she it's it's a she's adorable in it. But uh, no, I thought she she brought. She brought the necessary kind of mix of being a teenage girl that wants to, <laughs> you, you kind of said it, Teresa, in, in last week's episode, that I want to do what I want. You know, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that kind of attitude to being vulnerable, to being accepting of her uh, of her cousin and, and all that, I, I, and to the sadness of losing her friend. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I just thought that... Uh, I thought she she embodied the character in every way with just her voice, which I thought was very impressive. Yeah, I think she is very good in this movie. And I think uh, it's it's hard sometimes with voice acting because you can't obviously see the person in their emotions. But with Summer's performance, you can actually hear uh, her vulnerability in some of those moments like in the comic, at the very beginning, uh, what I talked about with the comic that I loved so much was at the beginning when she's lost and confused, uh, when she first comes out of the um, the water and she's kind of running through the streets, and you kind of see and read her inner monologue. Well, they don't have that, obviously, in the movie, but 
there is one part in the movie when she's uh, right before she gets kidnapped by all the Amazons. There is a moment where she breaks down and kind of uh, has issues with come to terms with her powers and what that responsibility might be for her. And Summer does a really good job in that scene, just kind of coming down a little bit. You know, she's she's been shopping with with Clark and there's a big shopping sequence of her getting clothes. But in that moment, she kind of uh, has a really emotional uh, part in the movie right there. So uh, I think I think she's really good in it. Yeah, I know. She kind of is the go-to girl for playing young characters with a lot of stuff going on. Like, she play, she tends to play younger than her age and also, like, characters that are really, com- like, complicated. <laughs> like, River Tam has a lot going on. Supergirl has a lot going on. Yeah, and she definitely has a lot going on in that movie, in that story, because she goes from confused and lost to, oh, I'm having to adapt to Earth to oh, I'm concerned about my powers, to, oh, I've gone to this Paradise Island place where I'm having to learn how to fight, and I'm kind of the kid in this situation, and I'm having to listen to my elders. And then she has that whole thing with Dark Side. So, yeah, she goes through this. Uh, I even saw some, like, a like a bonus feature interview thing with Summer Glau where she talks about the arc that Kara has in that movie and how much uh, she enjoyed playing that because she got to play so many different emotions throughout the course of the movie. Well, the animated films are really good about, uh, or anything actually involving Andrea Romano mm-hmm. uh, in general. Uh, are she's just, like a genius. <laughs> yeah, they're just, it, she's just fantastic in making it seem like an old-time radio show more than a cartoon. Yeah. Like you're, good- getting, you're getting so much more out of the performance and the animation is just kind of a bonus. I think that's a great way to put that. Now, what about uh, some of the other uh, voice performances? Uh, any favorites that the two of you have? Well, well, you can't go wrong with Susan Eisenberg as Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Conroy as Batman, and Tim Daly as Superman. I am one of the few people that like Tim Daly and George Newbern both equally mm-hmm. uh, because I think uh, I think they both did a great job with Superman. So if it's one or the other, I'm happy. Uh, huh. But I, I think having the three of them together and, you know, having kind of a continuity over from the DCAU films, DCAU stuff, but, uh, but just having that continuity and just a familiarity. I mean, Kevin Conroy as Batman is like, a, is like you know, Linus in his blanket at this point. Yeah. <laughs> he is great. Yeah, I didn't think about that until you just said that about how we have those three, the big trinity in the DCAU, but they the supergirl that's associated with their uh superman and batman is a different kind of kara so that i guess that could be kind of confusing i didn't even think about that until you mentioned it that there's two Kara's that are associated with that Superman with and Batman. With those same... Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so, that is really weird. It's, it's kinda, true. I hadn't thought about it either. It's blowing my mind right now because uh, I hadn't even thought about that. But yeah, uh, I um, I love... I mean, obviously Kevin Conroy is a given and um, I do I do like Tim Daly a lot. He's a great su- Superman. And uh, I was actually... To be honest, I was a little disappointed with Andre Brower as Darkseid. I hate yeah. to, I hate to say it because I love Andre Brower. And, yeah, and, and he has such a great voice, too. He, he does. He has that uh, low, billowing voice. And maybe it's because I've been watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine for two seasons. <laughs> and I've gotten to know him as this funnier guy. So or hearing him play evil is a little harder for me to accept. 
But I, I've, I felt like they could have maybe gone darker with him, maybe a little, maybe a little more with him. But I mean, he did a great job. But I just, I, I wanted more from you, Andre Brower. Yeah. Well, well, when you when you go from Michael Ironside in the animated uh, universe uh, on Superman and Injustice League, and Michael Ironside has that kind of voice, the deep, anyways. It was a little disappointing. My my biggest problem with Andre Brower being there is, I guess, some point in his contract, he got to have top billing, oh. and it always bothers me when the villain has top billing just on a <laughs> on a just a, a very silly and petty level. But, <laughs> because uh, I, morals and justice, that's <laughs> why. <laughs> I was just like Andre. I guess I had it in my contract that I get uh, top billing Brower. Uh, you know, is always on on the top. He just there was something missing from it. I I I, I think Rebecca's absolutely right. There is. Like he had the deepness, but it's not like he went far enough with the role. Like he, it almost felt like he, maybe he felt it was a little silly mm. to to be I, in this. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know like what was going on in his head, but I do have a sense that you know maybe uh, because a lot of actors, you know, think that they can do voiceover acting, and you have so many actors that like that do you know animated films and and such, and they get a big name to get you know butts and seats, but. You know, it really is its own art form and its own way of performing that uh, if you don't do it regularly, you know, it's not just something that anybody can do. Even if they're a trained actor, it's a, it's a very specific skill. Oh, definitely. And I saw an interview with, I was so disappointed, like my DVD doesn't have any of these interviews, but I found a whole bunch of interviews regarding this movie on YouTube. And I was like, <laughs> why are these not on the DVD? These should be on the DVD. Um, but Andre Brower was talking about how he didn't know of Darkseid when he was growing up and reading the comics. So maybe he didn't have as much familiarity with the character and maybe that sort of influenced how he, he played the role. But at the same time, CCH Pounder, who's played Amanda Waller uh, in both the Justice, Justice League Unlimited and in several of the animated pieces... She had no idea who that character was. You know, huh. I listened to to commentary by Bruce Tim, and she'd walk in. Oh, who am I? Oh, okay, okay, okay. And she'd just deliver a fantastic performance. Huh. Yeah. So maybe it's easier to conceptualize a hard nosed woman over dark god from the other side of the universe. So yeah, <laughs> that is a very different performance. Yeah. Um, it's a little. More I mean, complex. as hard nosed as she can be, but you yeah. know. Yeah, but she's not evil. <laughs> he he still did a great job. I just I left wanting more. Oh, and Ed Asner as uh, Granny Goodness, always good. The best. Oh my God, that <laughs> that is uh, inspired casting to say the least. <laughs> <Yes>. Like <laughs> out of the box. I, oh my God. I mean, one of the things that I've always thought that DC has always done well is their animated stuff, just in general. Um, and specifically their their art and their animation. Uh, what do you guys think about the uh, the look of this film? They tried to ape Michael Turner's drawing style. And with everybody but Superman, it kind of worked. Mm. Superman was kind of funky throughout the entire film. His, uh, his upper body was just like, you know, I've been... It's almost like he was doing too much work on his upper body and wasn't doing enough on his legs and, you know, and, 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 and all that in his weightlifting routine. Yeah. Uh, and, and some of the facial expressions were a little weird. Superman, oddly enough, as great scenes were, 
uh, and as fluid as those fight scenes were, uh, it just seemed like with Superman in, in, in particular, he was the bulkier one. Like Batman could just stand there in his cape and yeah. look like Batman because that's what Batman does. And Wonder Woman looked fantastic. <laughs> uh, but it's just uh, like my only problem with Superman, but everything else about the movie I liked animation wise. Yeah, it's it's funny with Batman. I didn't notice it. Maybe it's in the comic. I'll have to open up the the pages again. But what I liked about the way they had Batman in the movie was that he was always draped in his cape, like he looked like a bat was hanging, you know, upside down in a cave. Like he always had his cape tightly wrapped around him. And I thought that was that was it was an interesting choice. I, I couldn't remember if that was in the comic or not, but I really liked the the way that they uh, had animated Batman to look like that. And I particularly, particularly, that is a very hard word to say. Um, <laughs> I, I like the opening titles of this movie. Um, you know, talking about the animation with the Michael Turner uh, aspect, I really liked. But I also liked the, uh, the opening titles where it's just so colorful and it introduces all the characters by their symbols. And it even has little hints of the doomsdays and it uses the, the Kryptonese language and it ends on Supergirl, so I like the way they did that. So I'm 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 an editor, so I like that kind of nerdy stuff. But yeah, yeah the um, the the animation I thought was good, and I liked that they tried to mimic Michael Turner's art in that book. Well, see, it's maybe because I'm uh, <laughs> more of a Bruce Tim girl <laughs> um, and more of a Darwin <laughs> Cook girl. Uh, I was like meh, <laughs> but that's just me. I I'm kind of very stereotypically girly that way when it comes to my art. I, I like the curves and I like it looking a little more either retro or I don't even have the language to talk about comic book art, but uh, like it, those two artists seem to have more roundness to their, to their, you know, characters. And it's, it's a different vibe than this. Certainly. I mean, you look at their, their work and uh, Tim, Bruce Tim in particular has done some great, uh, work drawing Marvel characters hmm. uh, kind of in the Kirby style and it looks fantastic whereas Turner was very much coming out of the 90s where everything is, you know all the the men have physiques that look like they just you're not seeing them on screen they're off screen doing crunches yeah uh, and <laughs> they were just chiseled from from some kind of stone and uh, and the and the women are all you know tall with long legs and big hips and but very slender waists, uh, which I uh, Michael Turner I, I struggle with because on one hand it, it's technically good but on the other hand all of his characters look kind of soulless, hmm. uh, especially some of the women uh, when he draws them they it doesn't look like there's anything behind the eyes, unlike a Darwin Cook, where there's yeah. life there. So mimic that animated style, mimicking that style for animation must have been much harder than in the previous film to this, uh, Public Enemies, where they're doing Ed McGinnis, who has more cartoony style to begin with. So it, it translates better. So I, I think one of the problems with the animation is that they're trying to translate something that was meant for a comic book page and not for animation that has to be done at a less detailed rate. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. I like that they uh, have done that for several of these DCAU movies. They even did that with like the Dark Knight Returns, uh, mimicking the Frank Miller style. So I kind of love that they take the art from those stories and 
do the an- the the animated film versions of them to match the comics. So I like yeah. that. I mean, it is a cool, uh, you know, definitely a cool thing to do and to try to do. But yeah, I don't like the style necessarily in the comics either. So <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So I was like, if I don't like it still, I'm not going to like it moving. Like Prob- it's, you know. <laughs> Probably not. Um, now let's talk about the, uh, we talked about the comic last week. So let's talk about the differences in the story uh, between the comic version and the animated version. Any changes that you thought were appropriate and that worked uh, or anything that uh, you didn't think worked quite so well in the translation? Liked that when they take Kara uh, in the scene in the park, that it's just Wonder Woman and Harbinger, basically, Mm-hmm. that are there to take her uh, unlike the comic where it's like you got Batman fighting Artemis and <laughs> you know it's like this whole operation yeah and, and and you know I have such issues with that sequence in either both the comic and the movie to begin with because it's like you're having a fight scene to have a fight scene whereas you're supposedly Superman's friend why don't you sit him down and talk it, it out yeah and instead of staging this elaborate kidnap I mean basically yeah. it's almost like <laughs> It's almost like they were kidnapping Kara from a cult mm. and were yeah. going to go deprogram her, essentially. So, you know, I, one of my biggest pet peeves with the, with the animated film over the comic is that we go through this whole sequence of her shopping. Yep. And, uh, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm almost 40. I'm male. So, you know, take, it, take this opinion for what it's worth. But I think to just assume that when you have a teenage girl, all she's going to want to do is shop and eat hot dogs and have boys stare at her and Clark grimace at them, which was kind of funny, actually. But still, you know, just just like she's she's new on Earth. She's trying to experience everything. But, man, she really get, she really picks up that wanting clothes and expensive boots and stuff. And it just drove me insane. Yeah, it's true. I well, I mean, I had a problem with her clothes anyway, you know, just in general. But yeah, I, I agree with you that like the fact that she, that an alien would be so preoccupied with acquiring the fashion of her new planet, like I don't think those are the same values on Krypton, you know? Like I don't think teenage girls run around on Krypton and shop, really. That's not the vibe I get. Yeah, I think they were trying to emphasize her wanting to fit in and be an Earth girl, but I don't think you needed it. I think all everything that they had in the comic where Clark just takes her out for a walk and gets a hot dog and, and they go walk in the park where she gets kidnapped, I think that's all you really needed. I don't think you needed a sequence where she goes on a shopping spree. But uh, I think to in, the, in its defense, I think that's what they were trying to do was to show that she was trying to be an Earth girl. But it, like, like, like you said, Michael, I, I don't think it's it's sort of... I don't want to say sexist, but kind of like it's 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 a stereotype. Definitely. It's tripping towards that because on one hand, there are millions of teenage girls oh. and eat junk food and stuff like that. So the stereotype comes from somewhere. Yeah. But when you have a character like Supergirl, she she not only has to be a character, she has to be kind of representative of all young women, you know, right. to you know, she's a role model. So what you're basically reinforcing there is reinforcing the stereotype, at least to me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just... No, definitely. And like, yeah, this is not a knock on shopping and eating hot dogs. I love both of those activities <laughs> yeah, very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, and shopping while eating hot dogs, I mean, it doesn't get any better than Why that. Not? But the point is, 
gets a little messy. Yeah. I mean, especially if you got like a chili dog or yeah, something. It's no mustard and ketchup and all this. Stuff. God, now I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> moving right along. Um, I mean, I had trouble buying that scene anyway, because I think, and I, again, I talked about this during the, uh, the comic dis- discussion as well, but yeah, Wonder Woman agreeing to go along with this plan or, or, you know, acting in this way to take Kara to, uh, to Thermoscura. And I, I have a problem pronouncing that all the time. How do you pronounce it, Rebecca? Thermoscura. That's how I pronounce it. Thermoscura? Yeah. Okay. Because um, I'm like, I, I know what it is. I've seen it written down. You can always just um, say Paradise Island. Yeah, I was about to say. That's a little <laughs> yeah, easier to say. Sounds, yeah, but that's lame, though. I want to say the right word. <laughs> it's the Paradise Island. That sounds like, a, like, sounds like a really crappy resort. It's <laughs> bad. Um, anyway, but yeah, I, like the fact that, that Wonder Woman doesn't talk to Superman and that she would prioritize taking Kara back with her to the Amazons over you know, over Kara's well-being and, and, you know, possibly confusing her and over her friend's objections. I, I don't think that's in character for her in, in either version. And that's what I liked about the animated movie was that they changed it up just enough to where the end, like, because in the comic, you see that great image where Wonder Woman has, you know, Kara in her arms and like, she has her hand out, like, you know, don't stop me, you know, stay back. Yeah. And uh, I was sort of wanting that image in the movie because i think that's such a striking image but in the in the animated movie there's sort of it almost ends where they're sort of talking it out like uh like wonder woman and superman and batman they're all kind of it it ends on them it doesn't just end on wonder woman taking control yeah just swipe right yeah they do soften it a little bit yeah they yeah i i think that's a good way to put it they soften it a little bit to where it's almost like they kind of came to an understanding yeah, yeah and, and and it was so much better than like you guys like like you said it, it's better than the comic because in the comic I got the sense that Wonder Woman and Batman who by this point in the comics the relationship between Superman and Batman was a little better than it had been previously hmm. and you know they had all been working in the Justice League for quite some time by this point so you would think that instead of staging this elaborate fight. To prove that Kara is a danger by provoking her and proving that she's a danger. I, I was a little sketchy on, on Wonder Woman's logic in that. But instead of talking to him, it's like we, Superman's too close to this. He can't be trusted. We're going to take his only blood relative away from him. And I found it incredibly insulting to the character. Hmm. Uh, whereas in the movie, my only problem was sad face Superman when he finally agrees to have Kara go off <laughs> <Yeah>. with him. <laughs> That's a great description. He is sad face. Sad face. Oh my God. Yeah, there were a couple of things that they added that I thought were good, that were good additions. Like there's a, a flashback, uh, well, a sequence of flashbacks of when uh, Kara's describing when she left Krypton in the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. in, in the book, the flashback is just spoken in dialogue, so there's nothing visually there but so what they did in the movie was they just uh put images on top of what she's talking about and i thought that was a good addition because it gave you something visual to look at instead of just watching kara talk so i thought that was a good addition um and batman was actually really funny in this movie he has several jokes he um he mocks clark for or superman for uh 
busting up his $50,000 equipment. Yes. And, <laughs> and uh, he's like, you know, you're not going to pay for that on a reporter salary. And he yeah. even has this joke where um, he talks about, you know, he, I can't speak for the dog talking about crypto. And so there's there's a couple of lighthearted Batman moments in there, which I thought were really fun. But um, there were there was also some things I didn't like, though, about Kira. Some of the things that they added that I was like, oh, that we could have taken that out. Um, <laughs> Kara called Batman a grumpy ass. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, I guess it's it's fitting. I guess it's accurate. But it's, I'm like, that's just true. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's accurate. But I was like, uh, where, where would she have picked up that lingo? Is that what she she learned? Uh, in in the English language, uh, I could have done without that. And then there, like, the, there's another stereotype where Kara says she breaks a nail later, and I was like, mm, that's another little stereotype. But uh, that could have been accurate too. She could have broken a nail. But I don't know. Um, for Kryptonians, is it? It's pretty hard to. Like, can she break a nail? Yeah. That, that was going to be my question because, yeah. like, I. I... Saw that and I was like, well, how would that even happen? <laughs> I would think her, her nails and her, her hair and all that kind of stuff are really hard to bust up and tear out. So I don't know. Normally, yeah. I mean, Superman has to shave with his heat vision and yep. a piece of his ship. So. Yeah, I was going to say, Ken, you know, is the reason why Supergirl's hair is so long is because she can't get a haircut. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> how I would that know. Those are good questions. Um, that's that's something I hope that the show examines. So, uh, Berlanti, if you're listening, I want to see Supergirl get a haircut and how that happens. Some cr- uh, kryptonite scissors, I guess. Yeah, right. Um, so she'll almost die, but she'll look really cute. Um, yeah. And uh, speaking of green kryptonite, there was a couple of other things that I noticed. Uh, one of my favorite things in the comic, the comic of this story, is where uh, Superman has to use the green kryptonite on Kara uh, mm-hmm. in their fight on uh, apocalypse Mm -hmm. and they don't do that in the movie and i was i i guess that's sort of a a kind of a brutal looking thing for him to do so maybe they didn't want to put that in the movie but i i liked that imagery so i was a little disappointed that uh that was not there and they say in the movie that kara learned english in less than a week but the book says less than a month so i guess for the movie they needed to ramp up the time tip yeah uh the timetable a little bit um and Michael, uh, what did you think about the the change at the end during the fight on the the Kent farm? Uh, well, one, I, I felt bad for the Kent farm, <laughs> yeah, because uh, it gets trashed. Yeah. Um, I what I liked about it in the animated film is, is I didn't dislike it in the comic because it made a great cliffhanger ending. I I read it on a monthly basis. Oh uh, wow! Uh, so you know, I was. I was picking the comics up as they were coming out and that ending of her getting zapped, it was just like, <gasps> you know, you know, it, it made for that moment that you like in, in serialized fiction. What I liked about the movie is that Kara gets taken down, but she puts up a heck of a fight. I yep. mean, it's, it, you know, she, she thinks Superman's dead. So she's going all out on dark side. And, I was a little uncomfortable with him brutalizing her with his Omega beams mm-hmm. when he finally takes her down. I'm like, I'm a little uncomfortable here. But it made for a more balanced and personal fight between the two of them. By you know, you know, having Wonder Woman and Batman and all them involved in the comic, it doesn't make it as close for these two people who are family. And now it's two people as family fighting together and 
in the process trashing their adoptive family's house and <laughs> bomb basically everything. But it led to a great comedy beat when she finally meets the Kents and they're just stunned. <laughs> yeah, they and don't say it, anything. <laughs> Uh, like I guess we need to get the flash over here really quick to help fix this because uh, yeah, and, and and it was cute because Superman's like, "I'm gonna fix this." Oh, we're totally gonna fix this. I'm really good with a hammer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he he could rebuild it. Yeah, no harm, no foul. But yeah, well, even that I think was a, a change to the comic, right? That uh, that she meets the Kents. On the farm, I don't. I don't think. It yeah, had, no, that didn't happen in the comic. Yeah, I, I, there, there was, there was no like formal introduction. I think they talk about them, but they don't actually introduce themselves. Yeah, because they mention them as far as the uh, in the context of the suit. Um, right, right. And that you know, my mom can make something for you, but they don't actually see them now. But I actually liked uh, that was something that I preferred in the the comic to the film. Actually, was. Um, was the fact that, because yes, I, I get what you're saying, Michael, about, you know, family fighting together. But what I thought got emphasized in the comic is the fact that she is still a girl. And the vulnerability of that and the, the fact that she still does have a lot to learn and she's still new here and still in shock and still kind of figuring things out. Like just the, the emotional you know, kind of gut punch of that moment where she finally, you know, you think she's safe, you think she's, you know, you know, going to get a new suit, you know, it's going to be great. And then that happens. And I mean, I'm all for, you know, having a more extended fight between her and Darkseid. It did look really amazing, but I kind of preferred the the emotional impact of the the comic version. Uh, I I think I'm with Michael on that. Like, I I get both sides of it, but I think Michael, your your point about how it made it more personal for Kara, I think is a good one because then I started, once you said that, I started thinking about how on Apocalypse he had manipulated her and uh, was trying to uh, have control over her. And I think it's cool that in the movie she sort of unleashes on him in a way like, you can't control me. You can't have any kind of say in my life. I'm, I'm going to choose what, what my path is. And so I kind of like that she unleashes in the in the movie version of that one of the uh little scenes that they added that i thought was hilarious was uh superman wonder woman and batman showing up at big barda's house oh yeah yeah uh it's it's this whole extended sequence of her neighbors watching this and her having to shut the blinds because they're staring in and one of the cool things about scott free and big barda uh, mr miracle and big barda is that in the comics, they tried to have a normal life. Like, they, they came from Apocalypse, but once they were on Earth, they wanted to move to the suburbs and, and try to have this quiet, normal life. And I like the fact that she's kind of annoyed that they're interrupting that. <laughs> but still willing to go back to her home to fight Darkseid and, and help them out. So it was, it was a, that was in the comic, but I just like the setup of that because it shows what Barda is trying to kind of protect almost until she makes the decision to go get changed. And what that would be like if a bunch of superheroes showed up in your neighborhood going to somebody else, yeah. some other superhero's house. Like, that would be a little weird if you're like, hey, Batman's on my street, what's up? Because <laughs> um, then, I don't know, if, if that was me and I, I saw those people, 
in my neighborhood, I'd be like, oh my gosh, we've got to evacuate. Something terrible is about to happen. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Um, yeah, I like that sequence too, because I think there was something a little bit different from the comic in that, uh, the way they were able to show Barta sort of, you, you get the sense that she's going to reject helping them. And then she kind of goes out of the room and you just see the silhouette of her and she's sort of putting on her boots and everything. And so it, it's cool the way they did it because it makes you think, oh, she's not going to help him. But then she comes out fully dressed in, in her costume and uh, she she wants to go with him. And I thought that was cool because it sort of tricks you in a, in a little way. If they were to do this today, probably they would have people on her lawn with cell phones taking pictures. Oh, yeah. Like, we've got all of them kind of on her lawn together, like, you know, YouTube video. Um, Instagram, Snapchats are going on. I totally. Mean, Selfies. Like, it's funny that Rebecca thinks danger. I'm just like, oh, my God, I got to, you know, tweet this. Like, <laughs> No, I would be getting the heck out of Dodge. <laughs> I would Rebecca gather the pragmatist. I would I mean. get up all of my treasured belongings and I would leave town. <laughs> I'd be like, Superman, what's up? I mean, I, I would probably. Can I take a picture? Can I take a picture? Yeah, no, I mean, I would get a little selfie before I left. Like, hey, <laughs> Superman's in the background, but I would get out. <laughs> so you wouldn't go up to him, but you'd like sneak a selfie. Yeah, no, I'd like photobomb or something. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd, get, I'd get a little bit in there, just maybe like a blurred image in the background, and then I'd take off. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is the flash carrying me away. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, now, actually, I wanted to ask how you um, how you both saw the movie, because I don't have the DVD. Like, I was watching it on Amazon, but like apparently the DVD has a, a green arrow thing on it. I was just curious, did either of you have the, the DVD Blu-ray and were you able to watch that? I, I bought the DVD as soon as it came out. I am uh, shockingly behind the times. I don't have a Blu-ray player yet. Uh, I'm so 10 years ago. <laughs> but the, uh, there, is a, there was a documentary on the second disc that was actually just, it seemed, a replay of the documentary that was on the Smallville Season 7 set. Yep. Uh, about Supergirl, which was kind of disappointing. <laughs> I was wanting something a little newer because they kept interviewing Joe Kelly, and uh, I really didn't like his run on Supergirl, so I didn't really want to hear anything he had to say <laughs> about the character. Oh, God. Because uh, he did things to her that I thought were just completely unnecessary. So, um, But that's getting way ahead of this story, so I apologize. No, I... I, uh, <laughs> I, I I like the getting the double disc sets and stuff and getting all of the extras and such. So uh, I don't know if there's anything extra on the Blu-ray or not. So uh, I'm going to claim ignorance on that. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know about the Blu-ray. I have the DVD as well because I think I got mine actually right when it came out because there was a point where I was getting all of the animated movies right <laughs> when they came out. Yep. And now I'm like super behind because there are so many now. Um, but the DVD has – it does have a green arrow – uh, feature yes. on there, and I, th I can't remember which one that is. Is that the one where Green Arrow proposes to Black Canary? Yeah, it was the one where they're fighting Merlin at the airport, him and Black Canary, yes. because they're protecting ah. the little princess. It's a fantastic short. It, uh, yeah, that if that's the one I'm thinking of, that one is good. Um, and on and on the uh, the second disc that Michael was talking about with the documentary about Supergirl. Um, it also has, uh, it's, it says something like Bruce Timm's picks, and it's got 
the little girl lost episodes on it. So, uh, that's kind of the extent to the features. And I, I was, like I said earlier, I was kind of disappointed with the DVD features cause I wanted more about Superman apocalypse, not just yeah. about Supergirl. I wanted more about the, and clearly YouTube has proven that there was stuff out there <laughs> about this yeah. movie with interviews of the cast. They just, for some reason didn't put it out. Maybe the Blu-ray has that stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping. How did these it, people get it? Yeah, I'm kind of hoping it does because when Superman Doomsday came out, the first animated film uh, in the series of DC animated films, they had like a, a, a second, like a bunch of extra stuff on it, but it was just a single disc. And then when they did New Frontier, they did this whole like double disc set where you can buy the single one, and then on the double disc you had even more, uh, more supplemental material and episodes of the animated series. So they eventually went back and re-released Doomsday with a second disc full of that stuff. So it's kind of interesting that by the time they got to Superman, Batman, Apocalypse, which should have been Superman, Batman, Supergirl, but, you know... Yeah. (laughs) The only way I could defend it, which I don't want to in any way, shape, or form, because it really bugged me when they named it Apocalypse, is that she's not really Supergirl until the very end of the movie. True. So she doesn't have the costume on. It's kind of her journey to that point. So maybe that was their thinking. I hope it's not that they didn't think they could sell a movie with Supergirl in the title. Yeah, that crossed my mind, too, because I went back recently and watched the trailer the Superman Batman Apocalypse trailer and Supergirl and Wonder Woman are not in that trailer. It's literally huh. just Superman and Batman, which I mean, I guess they are in the title, but I was kind of like, um, but this whole story but is the about whole story Supergirl. is about Kara. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why is she not in the trailer? So it's, it's very bizarre the way that kind of came about, but yeah, uh, maybe, maybe the Blu-ray is something to look into in, in terms of bonus features. That'd be something yeah. to, to look at. Yeah, and as you, you continue to you know, collect things since you're behind, oh, you get the Blu-rays so now and have more stuff. Yes, they're actually great on Blu-ray. I, got a, I have a few. The few that I have are, are look great on Blu-ray. Gotcha. Well, so just to wrap up, uh, straightforward, which one do you like better, uh, the movie or the comic? I like the comic better. Mainly because one of the things that I love about Jeff Loeb's writing is his ability to get inside Superman and Batman's heads. Uh, You know, he did it in the first storyline. He did it in every subsequent storyline that he wrote for Superman Batman as a title. And I liked that. And I kind of miss that in the film. Like there was a the film was good, but it lacked the depth of the comic book. Yeah. And I, I think some of the choices that Loeb made as a scripter, like when he when S- Superman unloads his heat vision on the Doomsdays, which looks spectacular, in the comic he go, he looks at Wonder Woman and says, "I don't think I could do that twice." Hmm. That's a very human moment after a very super heroic feat. Yeah, and you didn't really get, you just got him kind of you know grimace face Superman after after all that. So. Yeah, I, uh, I prefer the comic. Uh, it's nothing against the film. I'm glad I have it. I take it out every once in a while and watch it because uh, I, I like the story enough. But I prefer sitting down and just cracking into the trade paperback that I have. Yeah, I was actually going to say almost the same thing, Michael, that I am a big fan of the way Jeff Loeb writes Superman and Batman's inner, inner monologue, uh, talking about 
the story and talking about each other. And clearly you can't do that. kind. It doesn't translate to film or animation. It's just not something you can do. But I, I do kind of prefer that about the comic. One thing I did like about the movie, which you can't get in the comic, was that Kara and Cal actually speak the Kryptonese in the film. It's, mm. It sounds a that was fun. It sounds a little bit like French in some, yeah. it, like it has a little bit of a French sound to some of the words, but I can't recall. I, I can't remember if they spoke it in Smallville. I can't remember, but uh, I think this is one of the very few times that you hear the Kryptonian language uh, spoken in, in any kind of animation or live action. So that's sort of a, a rare treat. But uh, one of the things that um, I liked better in the comic was uh, what I talked about in the previous episode of Supergirl Radio was that I, I like the beginning where Kara is confused and lost and she's, um, you, you kind of, if you translate the language, you know her confusion and, and, and how scared she is. And I didn't really feel that emotion in the movie sequence of that. And I, I was missing that uh, from the comic. And I also didn't like the change in the movie where when Supergirl is finally introduced as Supergirl, it's not in front of like the Justice League and the Teen Titans and all that. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just in front of the Amazons. And I'm like, this lessens kind of the impact for me. But Superman even has the "I've called you all here today." I'm like, ah, oh, well, they're going to include the Justice League, the Justice League, and the, it's just a bunch of Amazons. <laughs> I, I don't think Superman could call them to do anything. They yeah. probably yeah. would I told not. Wonder Woman to call you all here today because. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there was that you know that kind of tense moment between him and Artemis, where mm. on one hand Artemis looks like she wanted to kill him, but on the other hand she looked like kind of interested as well, like. <laughs> I don't know. It was it was a weird scene, but no, it was just. It, it, you're right. There's less of an impact when it isn't the great pantheon of the DC heroes standing assembled. It's a bunch of very in shape women in their Amazon togas just standing around cheering. It's just not as visually uh, exciting to me. Yeah, so. and it and it makes even less sense because you know. The fact that she's going to be Supergirl means, you know, nothing to them. Like they're like they're on Paradise Island. Um, they have mascara. Uh, they are there. Like they they have nothing to do with, you know, uh, other than Wonder Woman. Obviously, they they're not part of the superhero thing. You know, like uh, it's it's so she's not really joining them. She's kind of joining this community of heroes that aren't there. So right. they're all you know kind of just standing there, like, well, good for you. <laughs> enjoy but that life of being a superhero far away from here on a <laughs> practical level though I know that especially when this film was made there were a lot of barriers even though it was a, a, a Warner Brother release there were there's all, there were still rights issues with characters mm -hmm. so they may not have had clearances to use the Justice Society and the Outsiders and the Teen Titans mm -hmm. and all that Mm. Uh, which is disappointing. I mean, but you understand, uh, yeah. Apparently, Jeff Johns had to pull a lot of strings to get the Legion on Smallville. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you had that kind of bureaucracy, which has seemed to have kind of collapsed in the last couple of years and since Je Diane Nelson took over and Jeff Johns is the <laughs> chief creative officer. I was about to say, Jeff Johns probably has more of a say <laughs> in that stuff now than he did a couple of years ago. 
But yeah, I, I personally I enjoy the comic a little more because there there's more that uh, I felt more connected to in in the story in the comic. But I think there are some things that the movie was able to do that the comic didn't. Yeah, I mean, I I think I have to echo my preference for the comic. Um, and the thing is, with a film like obviously this is geared for you know a wider audience. It's geared for kind of like a you know younger audience, and and they kind of have to soften certain things and change some things up for, for a broader audience. But I agree that the comic was just so much more complex and really, you know, it was harsh when it needed to be harsh. And, you know, it, it kind of didn't pull punches, whereas the, the film, I think, kind of did. But um, I think that's, uh, that about wraps it up for this week's discussion. And thank you so much again, Michael, for uh, for taking part in this uh, particular oh. discussion this week. Oh, it was a ple- it was a it was a real pleasure when uh when your show was brought to my attention. I, I downloaded like the first like three or four episodes and listened to them all in a in a in a chunk and really enjoyed them and thought you both had a really good handle on the material. So it's a it's a real honor to be on here. Well, thanks. Oh, thank you. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, as long as, you know, we're getting love foisted upon us, um, <laughs> now that we've wrapped up this discussion, let's get into some uh, listener feedback and have other people tell us how great we are as well. <laughs> <laughs> we got an email from Reed who says, I didn't know if you already had this on the docket, but I'd be interested in hearing your you review Dan Jerkins and Kevin Nolan's 1995 attempt at reviving Kara in the comic books, Superman versus Aliens co-published by Dark Horse. What? (laughs) (laughs) At the time, Jergens stated in interviews that the miniseries took place in Superman continuity of the time and that the story's version of Kara would return. And an interview with Jergens in episode 63 of the From Crisis to Crisis podcast, that sounds familiar, (laughs) revealed that he was planning to have her reclaim the mantle of Supergirl. However, DC Editorial was committed to the Matrix version, which Jergens, among many others at DC, never cottoned to and his plans to put Kara back in the cape were scuttled. Still, it's probably the best Superman story Jurgens ever did and a terrific take on Kara, so it might be worth your time. So thanks huh. for that suggestion, Reed. We'll have to try to check that out. Uh, Michael, do you have uh, any thoughts about that particular comic? Oh, it's fantastic. It is. It's, it, you know, you would think that Superman versus Aliens would be like a three-minute fight, but he actually has to travel away from the solar system and his powers are slowly diminishing. So, and he finds this young blonde girl named Kara, hmm. uh, and has to protect her, uh, or, or try to protect her, but it turns out she's a little more, uh, wily than, than he would initially thought. And it's a fantastic, I think you guys should read it. I don't know if it would be something to cover on the show, but at least for your own entertainment, uh, just, uh, just read the story because it's, it's, it's a fun little story. Cool. It's a good recommendation. We might might do that and uh, maybe give you our two cents, uh, our quick two cents sometime on the podcast in the future. We got an email from Annika, uh, one of our younger fans, um, who emailed us asking us, what's your favorite Supergirl origin? And uh, yeah, Michael, if you want to start again, uh, do you have a favorite Supergirl origin story? Uh, The Silver Age origin. I, I, I prefer that one. I, I think it's cute. I, I, I think this one was great for the the Jeff Lowe version was great for a contemporary audience, but in classic Supergirl sense, just the idea of the ship crashing and her popping out Superman and just, you know, like immediately, you know, foisting her off on other people. Uh, 
Oh, that doesn't sound good at all. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but I prefer that. I like that. What about you, Teresa? Do you have a yeah. favorite? You, you know, I'm, I'm thinking because I, um, you know, I was new to the character with this podcast. Um, so I ha- I know I don't like the, the very first origin with Jimmy Olsen making her out of, you know, a wish. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm kind of torn because uh, my first instinct was to say the um, Superman, the animated series, where they're not related <laughs> Which is weird because, you know, obviously they're supposed to be cousins and that's like the, you know, the Kara that we we come to know. But there's something about Superman finding another Kryptonian who doesn't have anything to do with him and taking her under his wing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of like that about it. But yeah, I think it's a toss up between that and uh, and the one here in the Jeff Loeb version. But yeah, I go back and forth because on the one hand, you know, I feel like it's it's the more classic thing to have, you know, Kara Zor-El be related to Superman. But there's something about the the selflessness it would take to kind of adopt somebody you don't know and that you have no connection to that spoke to me from that uh, cartoon. I think that's a really interesting perspective because I was going to say that I like the ones where <laughs> he finds that this Kryptonian is his cousin. So I think I'm a little bit the opposite, but I think that's a cool perspective. So I I guess that would put me on the side of like the Smallville, uh, Jeff Loeb. uh, Who who else did it where? I guess, I guess those are the only ones we've talked about so far that have her as the, uh, the cousin from Krypton. So I I guess I do prefer that because I do like when Superman finds family. Yeah. No, and that is great. And uh, and I feel like there's always kind of a search for family with him. So that's cool. Well, if you want to contact Supergirl Radio like they did, you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. Post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash supergirlradio. You can follow us on Twitter at supergirlradio. You can check out our exclusive pictures over at instagram.com slash supergirlradio. And we are also available on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you have time, we encourage you to rate and review us on both of those places, iTunes and Stitcher. And special thanks to Mia Curtsy and Singularity for writing a review for us on iTunes. Michael, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Easiest place is fortressofbailey2.com. It's my Superman blog where I mainly talk about the post-crisis Superman and it's kind of like the second home for From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast where my co-host Jeffrey Taylor and I are going through every issue of Superman from Man of Steel in 1986 all the way through Infinite Crisis uh, in 2006. So we have just crossed the threshold of zero month and are heading oh. t- uh, into 1995. So it's it's been a lot of fun. And every Monday night at 10.30 Eastern Standard Time, I am the co-host of Radio KAL Live uh, over at the Superman homepage uh, where we discuss all of the latest news of Superman. And we have been talking about Supergirl like you wouldn't believe on that show. Cool. (laughs) Or maybe you would believe it because you do a show about it. I don't know. But no, she's a hot topic these days. Uh, Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, You can find me, as always, uh, at at Teresa Gisino on Twitter, uh, on Facebook. Uh, it's facebook.com slash Teresa Gisino experience. 
And my blog has the same name, the the Teresa Giacino Experience. Um, You can also find me on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Teresa Giacino. And uh, I am an assistant editor at the Mary Sue, so you can check out my uh, writing over there as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at DerbyKid and watch for videos I've shot and edited on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. That's D-U-C-K-M-I-L-K-P-R-O-D. And join us next week when we will be discussing Jeff Loeb's Supergirl Power. So we'll be discussing that uh, entire trade if you want to get caught up before that episode. And until then, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Teresa Giacino. And we don't have a problem with Superman Batman Apocalypse. But we can't speak for the dog. (laughs) 